We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hey, what's up, everybody? Good morning, Crossroads. Good to see you guys. You look about an hour sleepier than normally, so, so good to see you guys, and welcome to our Crossroads online campus. Man, week two of that, guys, it's been unbelievable what God's already done just in one week. I want to welcome Derek and Callie from Germany. That's super cool. Uh, Debbie in Las Vegas. We've got Tom and Jamie that are in Fresno right now, and then Larry and Helen. We're right here in Manteca, so it's just really great. First service, we had Casey join us online, who was waiting for the repairman to show up. That 9 to 11, you know, death march that you have to do. Like, how crazy is that? But online community, so grateful that you're with us. Uh, again, my name is Brian, the lead pastor here, and excited for you to join us today. Bless you. Bless you and you and all y'all. Love it. That was a good one too, man. Just like, let her rip. That's so good. All right. It's like last time I see you at church. But anyway, so, hey, our mission, our mission to lead people to discover Jesus and to follow him fully. That's why we exist and we're so grateful that you would join us today to be able to be a part of that. Now, one way that we do that and really churches all around the world that do that is this little thing called Easter. And we want to let you know that Easter is coming here at Crossroads and we get so excited when that happens. In fact, this year it's called Three is the theme of our Easter. And a lot happened in three days and we did want to celebrate that at Easter. I want you to be a part of it. In fact, we've got four different campuses for you to be able to join this at. 16 different service opportunities for you to be able to offer. Uh, Manteca, Ripon, and Escalon are our physical campuses. Manteca will be at 4.36 on Saturday, uh, 7.39, 11, and 12.30 on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. Then Ripon, which will be at Ripon Christian High School. That'll be at 9 a.m. and 10.30. Escalon at Escalon High School will be at 9 and 10.30 a.m. And then our online campus is going to mirror the Manteca services, 4.30 and 6. So we'd love 4.36 on Saturday, 7.39, 11, and 12.30 on Sunday. So we'd love for you to do that. In fact, we want you to do three things as a part of our three series. One is that I want you to think about three people that you can invite to Easter. I want you to think about them, pray for them, and then invite them to those services. That's right, I want you to get a minivan, I want you to bring people to Easter. Uh, listen, 90% of people would say yes if you just ask them, especially around Easter. So take advantage of that. Three people to be able to invite to Easter this year. Second thing we want you to do is to consider serving in one of our three different serving areas. We're going to talk a little bit more about this over the next few weeks. But we have three different specific areas we want you to serve at, at your specific campus. And then the last thing is, is we want you to pray. We want you to pray for the campus that you're going to be going to. Pray that God would do amazing work there. Pray for those three people. But be praying for God to do some crazy stuff at Easter. Online community. Uh, it, it, actually, Robbie's got some fun stuff for you to be able to do too. So make sure you're keeping in mind on that. Some watch parties we're going to challenge you to do. So consider being a part of those also. Uh, but again, make sure you know about that. We gave you a little... Um, a little uh, bulletin insert, and we can get that to you online also to invite some people. we got some fun stuff we're going to be doing over the next few weeks to get the word out. But make sure you're inviting people to that. So today, though, we are in week two of a series that is called, What Made Jesus Mad? What Made Jesus Mad? And it's from my friend and mentor, Pastor Tim Harlow, his book called, What Made Jesus Mad? He's the lead pastor in Parkview Christian Church in the south suburbs of Chicago. And he will be here next week, so you will not want to miss that. You do not want to miss online. Make sure you're inviting some friends to that. And really, the, the premise of his book is this idea of, hey, what, who is the real Jesus? This Jesus that actually got mad at things. Who is this Jesus? 
And so today we're going to continue doing that. And I'm going to give you a chance to find where we'll be at in the Bible here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7 and John chapter 8. Luke 7 and John 8. So if you have your Bibles open up there, Crossroads Grace apps, you can open up there and join us there. And if you're joining us online, just text your, your chat host. will tell you exactly where you can connect with the Bible right where you're at. But Luke 7 and John chapter 8. What made Jesus mad? Who is the real Jesus? That's the question that we're answering. And, and, the Jesus, and, and we want to know the Jesus that was more than just long walks in the desert and really cool sandals. Like we want to know who he is. We want to know the Jesus that got in the mess of people's lives and he actually got mad about the things that he saw going on around him. But I know that for some people, the thought of Jesus getting mad is, is hard to kind of comprehend. Last week, my friend LaShawn was leaving and he, uh, he was talking with his, his daughters in the car and his 12-year-old daughter kind of asked, Daddy, what did you learn in, in church today. And he said, well, we learned that Jesus got mad. And she says, wait, Jesus got mad? And he says, yeah, 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 Jesus got mad. And she says, okay, hold on, time out. Scale of one to ten, how mad was he, okay? Was he like, I love you, but I want to kill you right now, kind of mad, you know what I'm saying? Or, or was he kind of like, like, you don't even know who I am, do you? You, you best respect my name, kind of thing. He's like, I want to know where we're at in this whole mad scale, because Jesus getting mad does not fit into our VeggieTale versions of Jesus, does it? It doesn't fit in there. We don't have a song for that. For instance, if you're a Christian here today or you've heard of Jesus before, maybe, maybe you've heard this phrase, that's just not what Christians do. You ever, ever said that before? You ever, ever said that to your kids maybe before? And, and, and to an extent it's true that there are certain things that we stop doing and then we start doing when we start to follow Jesus. But most of the time what we mean by that is it's kind of what you wear and what you listen to and how you act. It's about our morals that more than our spiritual connectedness with Jesus. Now, another way that Christians kind of do this is, is through kind of things that they wear. In fact, maybe anybody ever worn one of these before? Uh, it is the wonderful, the only, what would Jesus do? Bracelet, anybody? Anybody worn one of those? Anybody still have one of those, even online, right? Okay, so what made Jesus mad or what, what, what would Jesus do? It was this idea, this little adornment that somehow would help you avoid doing things. Like, if you're in the middle of robbing a bank, you would look down and you'd be like, oh man, that's, sorry, here's the money back, that's my bad, you know what I mean? Like, like for some reason that was going to do it. But there's just some unique ways that we've kind of tried to keep ourselves in check spiritually and we try to make a statement sometimes with, with those around people. And in a way, it's kind of a passive-aggressive way of saying... Well, I've got this Jesus thing down. Um, you better shape up. You know, what would, Jesus, what would Jesus do? Now, I realize I paint with broad strokes. There are probably lots of people like Lisa. I'm sure that she wears her what, we, what would Jesus do bracelet proudly. And like she gets it, like she understands it. But, and, and there's these mantras that we tell ourselves to get us back. But I just wonder if we really have ever taken the time to unpack the why behind the what that Jesus did. Or maybe what we should be doing as Christians. And, and really, what's, that's why today is so important to answer that question. That as we continue to understand what made Jesus mad, we actually need to also be willing to unpack who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And, and doing that will, will force us to do something. It will force us to hold up to the light those things that we say in his name, assuming that that's what Jesus would do and that we're aligning ourselves with these things because that's what we think. But... But when we do that, we're going to actually have to ask ourselves some questions. The first question we'll have to ask ourselves is simply this. What do we do when what we think Jesus would do is not what he actually did? 
So, so what do we do with that? And more specifically to today's conversation in our traditions, what do we do when our tradition is not drawing people toward Jesus but getting in the way? See, traditions are an interesting thing. You know, those things that you just kind of do and you don't really know why you do them, you just kind of do them. And I know we have people that join from South Dakota on our online campus and so I just want to say hello to my South Dakota peeps because that's where I grew up. And growing up there, there are just odd traditions that are just specific to South Dakota. Now, we think that they're pretty cool because we're from Sodak, but from other people it may not be a big deal. For instance, when, um, when the opening of pheasant and deer hunting season happens, it is a ghost town in every school. Because people are out shooting stuff just everywhere. It just happens. It's a tradition. It's a big deal. Another big tradition is at the as a fireworks that happen at Mount Rushmore. And if you've never seen these fireworks before, you need to see these sometime in your lifetime. Um, imagine like faces here and like explosions. <laughs> this, is, this is when uh, Mount Rushmore is at dark, right? So that way... You're welcome, right? Now, another little thing that happens is this little town called Nemo, South Dakota. And it's right near where I used to live. We went up Nemo Road to get to my house up in the mountains. And in Nemo, South Dakota, believe it or not, they, about this time of year, they do outhouse races down snowy hills. Yep. They get into porto potties and they, they plummet themselves down the hill, right? Just like this. It looks beautiful. Um, or another thing, Sturgis Biker Rally. Anybody been Sturgis before? My biker's in the house, okay? Sturgis Biker Rally. 100,000 motorcyclers go to this one town. It's a town the size of Escalon. 7,000 people, 100,000 motorcycles. It is amazing. But the craziest thing is, it, it is this place called Wall Drug. Okay, Wall Drug. Anybody heard of Wall Drug? If you're online, give me a little what's up. What's up? Wall Drug is, this, is a drugstore in South Dakota. But when you are driving there, there is a sign for Wall Drug every, I don't know, 10 inches. Like every 10 inches, there's a sign. And it will tell you, hey, you know, 500 miles to Wall Drug, make sure you see the dinosaur park. Or Wall Drug, famous for five cent coffee. Or Wall Drug, free ice water, which is always just weird. Like who's paying for water? Ice? Anyway, right? But even in Japan, there are these signs that like 6,000 miles until you get to Wall Drug. Or just crazy stuff. So you are drawn to it like a tractor beam. And then when you get to Wall Drug and you pull in the parking lot, you say, that's it, right? It's just a drugstore. That's all it is. You are so disappointed, you know, so disappointed. But it's a tradition. You just do it. It's the way that we've always done things. That's what traditions are. And I would say that we have done some very traditional things when it comes to Jesus. Things that we think that he is. We've come to think of Jesus as kind and calm and compassionate and always waiting for a little old lady to walk across the street and never able to go into a building because he's always holding the door open for everybody. And that's what we think of him. We think he's safe. He's conservative. He's someone that fits really nicely into our Christian mold that we have. Because when you read this Bible, it's not the same Jesus. It's like anything but that. One of the most glaring examples that kind of destroys this safe, traditional view of Jesus found in Luke chapter 7. He says this. Luke says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Fun little fact here. What is happening here is Jesus is talking. He's calling himself the Son of Man. It was his favorite title for himself. So basically Jesus is saying, You're calling me these things. You're saying that I eat with, you know, I eat and drink with drunkards and friends of tax collector. This is what you're saying that I'm doing. And guys, this doesn't fit neatly with our mold either. 
Like we're just uncomfortable with this passage if we're really honest with ourselves. But I need to let you in on something here when it comes to this passage. And the secret is, is that Jesus is actually talking to religious people. He's responding back to religious people. That's, that's right, the holier-than-thou people, the one that hated him so much that they were going to kill him soon. And so knowing that fact, you might say, well, of course, that's what they're going to say. People that hate other people say very hurtful things. It doesn't necessarily make it true, though. So, I mean, these hateful people wanted to point out the most glaring problems with Jesus. And what they chose to bring up was the people that he was hanging out with. The people that everyone said you should stay away from. Jesus was hanging out with drunks and gluttons and tax collectors and sinners. They said that that's not right. The religious people didn't like that because they didn't like to hang out with those people. Because those people were considered unclean. And if you hung out with those people, then you were considered un unclean. And that was their religious tradition. That, that's what they believed. And so they were telling Jesus, Jesus, listen, you are, you're hanging out with the wrong people, buddy. And so if you're going to hang out with them, then I'm not going to hang out with you. If you choose them, we can't choose you. And, and, and you might say, you know, okay, okay, well, they said that, but maybe it was just an a, 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 a wrong place at the wrong time type of situation. Like, like maybe Jesus was at the AM and PM getting a falafel and like everything was going good and all of a sudden in walks a bunch of drunks and prostitutes and tax collectors and it was just a, simply the wrong place at the wrong time. Somebody snapped a tweet of him and that's just kind of how it went. Well, here's the kicker about this whole thing. The whole thing about this. The, the, the list of people that they were accusing Jesus of hanging out with was people that Jesus chose to hang out with. That, that, that's right. Jesus was kind of, he, he was considering the odds. He's like, okay, should I hang out with religious people or tax collectors or, or sinners? Religious people or sinners? Religious people, sinners. Every time. I will hang out with sinners all the time. I do not want to be all hoity-toity with the holier-than-thou people that are just stuck up on themselves. No, I want to be with the sinners. I'm choosing the sinners. And here's the great part about this, guys. Just, here's the great part. What Jesus knew that these religious fools didn't know that wasn't even the full list that they were accusing him of, right? I'm guessing Jesus is saying to himself, oh boys, if you even knew how many people, the people I was hanging out with, you know? Because Jesus' sinner list was packed full. He hung out with sick people and prostitutes and adulterers and robbers and zealots and thieves and embezzlers and the cultural equivalent of Dodger fans. Like he hung out with messed up people. Baseball is back, right? Yeah, right. He hung out with messed up people. And, and, and listen, can, can I just, can I just tell you a little secret between you and me and the internet. Like, I'm just going to tell you a little secret, okay? Just between us, okay? Here, here's the thing. Ready? He still does it today. He still does it today. That's right. Jesus hangs out with drug addicts and alcoholics and gossips and cheaters and tax evaders and crooks and liars and people that think they're really good and Republicans and Democrats and Tea Party people and lost people and everybody. He hangs out with all those people. He wants to hang out with all of them. And I'm so glad that he did because I was one of them. I are one of them. And if you're far from God today, or if you've never heard anything about Jesus before, and this is all new, hear this. Jesus loves hanging out with people that other people write off, rip off, or send out. He hangs out with those people. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you right where you're at. But this doesn't 
really work well with our perfect little Jesus mold, does it? There isn't a precious moments version of that Jesus, is there? Like, you can't buy that. that. That breaks all of our traditional rules. But it's true. It's so true. And guys, Jesus didn't just like bump into them at like the line to go to the elevator. Or his, or his favorite coffee shop in town, Hebrews Coffee. Right, you know? <laughs> the religious people, all the Christians got that, okay? That was all right. If that went over your head, consider yourself. That's a good, okay? That's good, right? No, Jesus didn't do that. No, no, no. He sought them out. He lived life with them. He went to them to talk to them, ate with them, walked with them. He taught them. Which meant in order to do that, he would have had to have been around all the stuff that they were doing. Which is such a great reminder for all of us that want to be like Jesus or take Jesus to other people. And it's this, that you can't hang out with messy people and not see some mess. You just can't do it. This sterilized hand sanitizer version of Jesus doesn't work out. Especially now because Costco's out. Like you just can't, can't do it. You know, you can't do it. Jesus hung out with people Messy people in messy situations. Great example of that, low-hanging fruit, is this idea of drinking. We don't like to think of Jesus being around alcohol. It's like that moment sometime in your life that you realize that in order for you to have been alive, that your mom and dad would have had to, you know, you know what I mean? Like you just don't even want to go there. It's something you're not comfortable with. And, and Jesus was around alcohol and drank alcohol. I mean, for crying out loud, his first miracle was turning water into wine. And he didn't just take, like, tap water and turn it into box water. Like, you know, he didn't, or box wine. He didn't do that. No, 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 no. Look at what he did. John chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, hey, listen, everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap stuff. Wait, that's my version. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Jesus creates the best wine, which has alcohol in it. Right. He, he made Gallo look like whatever. You know, he's like, I got the best stuff for you. He saved the best for last. Another example. I can tell that you're not believing me so far. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. This little thing called the Last Supper. Jesus says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. A bonus verse right after this. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We, he didn't have grape juice. It's not what he, we had handed out to you guys at a communion. This was the real stuff. He drank wine. It was a cultural normative. It was a tradition that people did. So Jesus shows us that you can drink alcohol and not be sinful and, and tip over to drunkenness. I, I'll say this right up front, though, that if you have a problem with alcohol, this is not Jesus saying, go ahead and get drunk. That's not at all. In fact, you need to stay away from that stuff. But what he's showing us is that there is a way that you can drink and not sin and also impact people. Except for most of us. The idea of Jesus hanging out with drunks and maybe even having a glass of wine with a friend at a party, it's too much. It's too much. Our, our rules, our traditions, we don't like that. But let me just ask something. Let me just kind of dig a little bit further. Is our problem 
with this version of Jesus, really that he drank? I mean, is it really that far-fetched for us to see Jesus sitting down with his friends and having a glass of wine? Is that really the problem? Or is our problem still more with the friends that he was drinking with? What was it really? See, I think this is really the nerve that causes us to twinge when we start to, to think about this, if we're honest. We, we don't like a Jesus that sits in a grimy bar. We don't like a Jesus that is anywhere near a nightclub that has black lights. We don't want to have a Jesus that eats with somebody that just got back from cheating on their husband. We, we don't want that. We need a more sanitized version of Jesus. Why? To make us feel more comfortable. That we could feel comfortable. But what happens when we clean up Jesus so much in this way is that we miss out on who he came to clean up and actually keep, keeping those people from the Jesus that he came for altogether. That, that, that's the problem. So, so Paul would actually kind of dig even a little bit deeper in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 20, Paul says this, speaking to Christians, mind you, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul's saying, listen, you might do a bunch of traditions on the outside to maybe make it look like you've got it all together, but guess what? It's a Jesus thing. It's the internal stuff that matters. Jesus matters. Paul laid it out right in front of everybody, right there. And he said something that's really important for us to know about Jesus. And it's important for us to know that what made Jesus mad was when people's traditions got in the way of his salvation. That was the biggest thing. Jesus couldn't stand when barriers were created between God and other people. And sometimes those barriers, they could be our traditions. Which means that in order to reach lost people, you and I must be willing to go where they are and not naively think that they're going to come to us. We have to know that. Because in an increasingly post-Christian culture that we live in, we can no longer assume that the magnet of the church is going to draw them in. Because I'm here today to tell you that the church is losing its magnetism in all kinds of different ways. We must be willing to go to them. We must look deeply into the eyes of Jesus. We need to look deeply into his eyes of Jesus and see what he did and do as he had did. Because if we don't, guys, if we don't, we are at risk of doing what Jesus actually chastised the religious people for doing. Luke chapter 11, look what he says. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, that's the religious people, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will lift not even one finger to help them. He's speaking to the religious people, these Pharisees, that their, their profession was taking the law of God, which had 613 laws to begin with, and then adding more laws on top of it for people to have to follow in order to truly know God. So it was, it was, it was laws and religion and then God. Like you had to do all those things. And Jesus is saying, you are adding so much weight to people that they can't even, they can't even stand up under the pressure. You are crushing them under the weight of this. And if we're, if we're going to avoid falling into the same trap, we just must remember that Jesus went to where people were because that's what Jesus would tell us. He said, you got to go to where people are because he wants us to know that salvation is more important than perception. Salvation 
is more important than perception. Guys, the goal is for people to meet Jesus, to have their lives changed for all of eternity. In that if we want to be like Jesus, we have to be willing to go where Jesus went so we can bring what Jesus brought. We need to remember that. That's one of the reasons that being a Christian and following Jesus is beautifully hard. Beautifully hard. Because when we say that we want to love and live like Jesus, it means that we have to set aside the sterilized traditions that we've grown accustomed to so we can reach people with the messy love of Jesus. Let me give you some examples of this. I feel like divorce is one of the most difficult, painful things I've ever seen people go through. I, I mean, I believe it breaks God's heart. And, I, and you might not agree with divorce too, but you might need to walk through a divorce with somebody, with a friend, so that they know that they're not alone and God's grace is real. You may not agree with abortion, but you may be asked to hold the hand of someone who tells you that they had an abortion at one point in their life. You might, not, you, you might have to walk through some sinful decisions that people are making that you wish they would not be doing and you have to walk through it with them when it's easier to walk away from them. You, you're going to have to lean in. Gang, listen, this is what this means. To truly follow Jesus, we'll have to step outside our comfort so we can comfort others. We're just going to have to get used to that. And if you're here today or you're watching us online and you don't have any relationship with God or Jesus at all, I'm so glad that you are here. And I want you to know the real Jesus. I want you to know the real Jesus. And I believe the best example of that that demonstrates this real Jesus is found in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, I'll set the scene for you. In John chapter 8, Jesus had just entered uh, Jerusalem a, a bit ago. And, and he had he'd entered Jerusalem reluctantly, meaning that he didn't really want to be there because he knew that the religious people are all upset with him. They actually wanted to murder him. It was kind of a bad deal. Um, and so Jesus didn't want to go, but he ended up going. And sure enough, when he got there, he saw all these things that were just driving him crazy. People that were doing the wrong things and trying to create barriers between God, all these things. And so he, finally, he spoke up and the religious people lost their minds. And, and, and somehow, some way, like this kind of scene kind of ends where Jesus is in the courtyards and all this stuff is happening and it ends. And, and you think, okay, well, it's, it's all done. It, it kind of blew over. Well, that's where we come to John chapter 8 and we realize it was just beginning. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2, it says, At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before the group. Now, I need us to be in this scene. And I need us not to sanitize it. We need to understand what's really happening. Jesus, uh, it says, was teaching, but it said that he was sitting. Notice what people are doing in this scripture. It's very important. Jesus was sitting down teaching a group of people. When all of a sudden there's a commotion that happens... And what happens is these religious people bring in a woman that was caught in adultery. Do not sanitize this. Don't believe that they were kind enough to her to let her go change and to put something on. No, no, no. They drug her from the bedroom and placed her right in the middle of this group of people. Naked for everyone to see. And it said that she was standing, notice position, standing in the middle of the group. The people learning that Jesus was teaching, Jesus himself and the accusers that had brought her in. She is standing in the middle of all of that. My friends, have you ever had that happen to you? 
Have you ever felt yourself standing in the middle of every judgmental eye you could possibly imagine? People whose traditions said that you were ugly and that you were a sinner. People who, who you thought were your friends. And maybe even God himself standing in front of him with all everything to bear. Nothing blocking you. Just standing in the middle of what you've done. Have you been there before? This woman is naked standing in front of Jesus. And they make her stand there. The scripture tells us this. They made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Such women. Now what do you say? Jesus is, is sitting here teaching this group of people. This woman is naked in front of her. And they have said this woman was caught in the act of adultery... And our traditions, our laws say, Jesus, she should die. Again, again, don't miss out on what's happening here. That, that these men had come and not only had they brought her, um, but they'd also brought stones with them. And, and, and what this would mean for us is that this would be the equivalent of coming with a gang that was loaded with guns and pointing that at someone. That, that was the, the, the reality of what was happening. They had come with stones ready to murder this woman. But before they do that, they say, Jesus, what do you say? Because they said this. They said, the law of Moses, our tradition says that we're allowed to do that. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus knew that law. He kind of wrote it. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 says this. So he would have known it. And Leviticus says this to us. It says that um, if, a man, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. That's the tradition. Now don't even get me going on the fact that they didn't bring the man into this whole deal and just brought the woman. Don't get me going on that. But right now we have a naked woman caught in the act of adultery. But you, and so Jesus says, I, I know the law. I know the tradition. But here's the thing. Jesus is literally caught in the middle. Here's what would happen. Were Jesus to say, fire away, go ahead, you're right, he would have been acting against Rome. See, Rome is the only one that could, create, could, could uh, say capital punishment could happen. So he would have been against Rome. But if Jesus would have said, no, you may not throw those stones, he works against the law of the Jewish people. And now the Jewish people said that he was wrong. So he's literally caught between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Our tradition says this. What do you do, Jesus? And what we would do is we would talk. We would defend, we would say something, but Jesus, he does something different. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now listen, you cannot miss this. Jesus is sitting teaching this group of people, this woman caught in the act of adultery, naked in front of her, men with rocks preparing to murder her right in front. And what Jesus does is he does not speak. He stands up, he moves around, and he bends down. And he starts to write in the sand. Now we don't know what he wrote. But if you look closely, we can see what he did. What Jesus did was he placed himself between the woman and the group. He placed his life in between certain death and this woman. A guilty woman. He stands in, in between them and certain death. 
And if you notice, it said they kept questioning, they kept pestering, they kept asking, they kept asking. And so, I love this, it says Jesus straightened up. He looks at them and says, any of you that are without sin, fire away. And then he stands, he, he kneels back down, he starts to write again. Now, Jesus standing in the middle of this woman. Jesus, if, if they started to throw the rocks at her, who would have gotten hit first? Jesus would have. He was preparing himself to take those blows for her. But he says, if any one of you is without sin, throw the first stone. To which this happens. He says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. My friends, you got a rock on the way in, and our friends online, if you grabbed a rock, this would be the time to grab that. I want you to hold that in your hand, if you would. And as you hold that in your hand, I want you to close your eyes. Online, I want you to close your eyes. No funny business, I just want you to close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to place yourself in the position of that woman. You are the woman caught in the act of adultery, naked for the entire world to see, for all the sins that you have committed. And maybe yours isn't what hers was, but maybe there's something else. Maybe you're wrestling with something right now and you feel as though all the eyes of the world are on you and you feel the judgment on you. You feel like certain death is surrounding you. I want you to put yourself there. Are you there? Can you feel that? And then what I want you to do is with your rock, I'm going to count to three. And I just want you to drop it. As you stand in the middle of this, this room, this judgmental people, everyone looking at you, certain death, the fear that you have, the trembling, here's what I want you to do. As I count to three, I just want you to drop the rock. One, two, three. Now with your eyes closed, with your eyes closed, I want you to know that the sound that you just heard the sound of grace. That is the sound of grace. And as you open your eyes, I just want you to know that that is what grace sounds like. When there is no more judgment on your life, when those that are accusing you walk away because they are just as guilty as you, just in a different way. When you understand that Jesus is standing in between you and that at any moment were they to start to throw, he would absorb that blow for you. That is the sound of grace in your life. That is grace. We still have a mess, though, don't we? Because our tradition is boiling up inside us and saying, but hang on, she was guilty. She was guilty, caught in the act of adultery. Does this just mean that grace ignores that and you walk away and nothing should be done? She can just keep doing what she's doing? Ah, keep reading. Jesus says, Jesus straightened up, again, I love it, straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
Go now and leave your life of sin. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The Christian psychologist Henry Cloud once said that truth without grace is judgment. But grace without truth is deception. The reality is, is that she was guilty. The reality is, is that she did deserve what was coming to her. That's the tradition. That was the truth. But Jesus says, no, I will put my grace in its place to protect you. But now go and sin no more. There's the truth. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can walk the tightrope of grace and truth and be able to, to show this woman what it looks like to be able to live and live free. Only Jesus could do that. But we must have grace and truth together. And Jesus says, listen to the sound of grace. Is there anyone here that will con condemn you? No, sir, she says, then go and sin no more. Live a life that absorbs that sound of grace and lives as though you believe it. Jesus says, come as you are. There's the grace. Don't stay as you were. There's the truth. Come as you are. Don't stay as you were. I've got a better life for you. I've got a better life that you can experience. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or if you're watching and you don't know Jesus, or you have some sterilized version of Jesus, I want you to hear this and I want you to put yourself in that scene. And I want you to know that Jesus stands in the gap for you. He stands in the line of fire for you. He advocates for you. He pushes back darkness for you. Why? Because Jesus loves you. His grace is real. His truth is freeing. Jesus loves you. Don't carry around the wrong version of Jesus. Carry around the version of Jesus that knows grace and truth. And when you know that, my friends, when you've experienced that, my friends, then we must remember that salvation is more important than perception. We must do that. We must be okay walking into places that say, oh, you shouldn't be there. We must be okay saying, hanging around with people that say, wow, you shouldn't hang around with them. We should be okay because Jesus did it. Jesus did it because he knew that salvation was more important perception. Grace and truth together are critical. That in order to show Jesus to other people, we might have to stand in the line of fire for people. Salvation is more important than perception. And so my friends... Online and here, I just ask you, I beg you, that you need to know what side of the scene you're on. None of us are Jesus. So that leaves either the woman caught in the act of adultery in our sin or the ones that are judging ready to kill. Who are you? Where are you? And at communion, we get to remember and reconcile both of those. That if we're the ones holding the rocks ready to throw, might we hear the words of Jesus that say, if you are without sin, throw away. Go ahead, but if not, walk away we need to repent we need to receive that from Christ but if you if you're that woman if you're that man on display for everyone to see your sin could you hear the sound of grace today could you hear what it sounds to feel like Jesus loving you in a way you've never experienced before my hope and my prayer is that you would know that today so in a second we're going to take communion trays will pass in front of you there will be bread in the bottom juice in the top Take both out and hold on to them. Online campus would love for you to grab that cracker and juice that you're preparing right now. And just know that on the cross, what Jesus did is he took on every rock that would be thrown at you. Every rock that was aimed at you that you deserved and he absorbed it all for you. So you'll never have to feel that. He did that for you because he loves you. 
But the truth of it is, he then says, go and sin no more. Live a different life because of what I've given you. At communion, we can know that. We can believe that. My prayer is that that would be for you. Salvation is more important than perception. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, I don't know why you did it. Because I know the sinfulness of my heart. I know how wicked I am. I know that I am not worthy. But you sent your son perfectly and blameless. You sent him to die for my sins in my place. And for that, I am eternally grateful. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that feels as though they're holding stones right now and are ready to throw it at others, that they would drop their stones, they would place their hands in the air and they would just repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been the one keeping people from you. Help me to know that salvation is more important than my tradition or my perception. Please, Jesus. And God, if there's anyone here that feels like that woman or maybe is that man that feels like their sin is just on display and they realize they need a Savior because they deserve what should be coming to them, could they simply say, Jesus, I want you. I need you to protect me. Please withstand those blows that are meant for me. I want you as my Savior, my friend. I want grace, but I also want truth. I want to live a life differently for you. Jesus, you tell us that if we claim you as Savior, we, the old is gone, the new has come, and your shield protects us. And so thank you, Jesus, for that. Help us to remember that the reason it's possible is because of communion, and may we rest in that truth now. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. My friends, before we even start communion, make sure you grab a rock that's around you. I want you to hold on to it. Maybe you need to write grace on that as you leave here today or whatever it might be, but just know that that is for you. All believers in Jesus, you're welcome to commune with us now. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.